have here is first the most unavoidable reality in a church, in a Christian community. There will be stumbling blocks. And then because of that, three things that are absolutely needed. And they're not necessarily the three things, at least the last one might be one that we're like, yes, we need that. But there needs to be confrontation, and there needs to be forgiveness, and there needs to be faith. And really with the three things, you could really say four, confrontation, and repentance, and forgiveness, and faith. Verse 1, literally, Jesus uses a double negative to emphasize his point. Literally, he says, it is impossible for stumbling blocks not to come. So he's not just saying, it's inevitable. I mean, it's, listen, these things are going to happen. No, he says even more strongly, it's impossible that they wouldn't happen. Difficulties in community are the norm. It's what happens when you get more than one sinner in a room. It is impossible not to have difficulties, not to have disagreements, not to actually do things or say things that cause someone else to stumble. Stumbling blocks are literally things that that trip you up. Now, some things are stumbling blocks. Uh, Paul talks about the, the stumbling block of the gospel. So the stumbling block to outsiders of the reality that you are a sinner in desperate need of God's uh, grace and mercy and that the Son of God died to save you. That's a stumbling block to outsiders. It often trips them up. Sometimes a stumbling block for us as a community can be other doctrines, other theological teachings. They're a stumbling block. It's, it's hard. We find that hard to get our heads around, and maybe it causes us to, to seek out other uh, churches that might uh, teach in a way that goes along with our, our own consciences. But then there are other stumbling blocks that are actually put there by each other. They're like uh, the way we treat each other can be a stumbling block, can be a hindrance to your walk with Christ. Um, There's probably not, like I'm not a mom, so I don't know this, but there's probably not a dad out there who doesn't have a sense of the stumbling blocks you've put in front of your kids. Like the, the lack of faith that you've bore witness to your children. The, the things you've done that you see repeated in your kids' lives. And it, like it would be easy enough other than that you just see yourself. And I've, I've shared this silly story before, but there was one time that Jacob was sweeping the kitchen after dinner, and he had a nice pile of, you know, that stuff children make on the floor, 
Uh, and anyway, he's, he had a good pile of that going. And one of his sisters was clearing the table and, and doing things, and she walked through the pile. And she didn't see it. She wasn't paying attention. And, and Jacob exploded. Like he was so angry at her and just, just let her know how low her IQ was. And, and I just looked at him and I just said, Jacob, that, she didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. I think you're overreacting. And his confused look, like he just looked at me and he was legitimately confused and he said, that's how you react. And it was just, it's, it's easy to share the silly ones, isn't it? We put stumbling blocks in front of one another. And not just our children. It, we put stumbling blocks in front of each other in the community. And, and Jesus says, listen, that's bad. Like, if you're looking for a picture of bad, his illustration of how bad that is, you really can't get around it. You would be better off if you had a millstone tied around your neck and then you were thrown into the sea than to be someone who causes one of these little ones to stumble. So the millstone, I mean, you know what a millstone is, don't you? It's this giant wheel, this stone wheel And there's usually two millstones, and one moves and one doesn't, and it's used to grind out flour or grains or anything else. It mills, it mills. And it's usually so heavy that you need a donkey or an ox to even turn the thing. It's this, Jesus is saying, you would be better off with a cement life preserver and joining the swim team than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And yeah, it could mean just little ones, just children, but it's also just this term of endearment. It's how God views all of us. We are his dear little ones. It's, it's the, the, the language of the father to the, to the stubborn elder son when he says to him, my son. It's literally, he says, oh, my child, my little one, you're always with me. It's the, it's the delight God has in us, and, and how would he not, how would he not despise and be so infuriated that we might cause one another to stumble in this way? And so what should we do? I mean, do we start a, a witch hunt? I mean, we need to eliminate these stumbling blocks. We need to get them out. And we start a, a swim club for the millstone initiated. Well, if we remember that he says it's impossible that these stumbling blocks won't come. He then says, so watch yourselves. Watch, so first, watch yourselves. He says, look, and if a brother sins, rebuke him. 
If a brother sins, rebuke him. If someone's doing something, talk to him. Speak to him. You know, Galatians, Galatians 6 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We don't, um, we don't like confrontation. Which is interesting, in the, in the Christian community, you would think we, of all people, would be better at it. I mean, because we have both the gospel, like, in us, and the gospel hope for the person we're talking to. Like, we have, like, good news for both ourselves when we approach someone, and good news for them uh, as we approach them. You would think that we would be better at confrontation, better at going and having hard conversations with each other. Instead, we maybe we'll go and confer with the pastor. Hey, this person did this. Now, conferring with the pastor, as long as your pastor also says, that is hard. What did they say when you spoke to them? Or, oh, oh, you didn't. Well, then, let's pray about how you can go speak to them. Or we may complain to a counselor. This is how hard my life is now because of this person. Look what they've done. Or we share concerns over coffee and after Bible study. Pray for me because this person's a jerk, which is always a fun prayer request. Jesus says, yeah, rebuke them. If they sin, rebuke them. Paul says they're they're trapped, they're ensnared. They need someone to gently come and help them. Like if so I know there's people in the world who thrive on conflict and confrontation. Um so I'm not one of them, just like I'm not a mom, so I don't really know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be deathly uh allergic to confrontation. I know what that feels like. Uh, but there's so many ways to do the gentle approach. My pastor, his, his favorite uh, counsel for folks was to just open the conversation with, help me understand. Help me understand this. Because maybe I'm not understanding it right. That passage in Colossians that we read uh, to open, so helpful, I think. Because it says both, like as you're clothing yourself in Christ, it says to us, gives us two paths of it's hard to live with you. So one path is bear with one another. And then the other path is forgive one another. Which means that there are some things that don't rise to the level of, I need to confront you, you need to repent so that I can forgive you. Now, some things do, but some things, before it even gets to that, are just at the bear with one another level. Just bear it. 
Like maybe it's not a sin. It's, I can't believe I'm about to say this. It's not a sin to bring macaroni and cheese to a potluck. I know a bunch of people have less sanctified taste buds and they like that kind of stuff. So by all means, bring it. And I can be the bigger Christian and bear with you all. Like, but that's where it is. Like, if it's not a sin that needs confronting, maybe it's just a thing that you need to bear with. Bear with one another. Now, if it is a sin, go and speak about it so that they can repent, so that you can forgive them. That's the beautiful thing he says. So first he says, these things are absolutely going to happen. And then he says, now if, if it happens to happen, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. So sin, rebuke, repent, forgive. Sin, rebuke, repent, forgive. These like, these are the three necessary ingredients of the community of Christ because one of them is never not going to be there. We are never not going to sin. Yes, we can grow in grace. Yes, sanctification is real and God is mortifying sin in us and the whole reason the Holy Spirit is in you is to help you root out sin, but There's going to be sin. You will continue to sin until Christ returns or takes you home. And so because there will be sin, there must be confrontation, repentance, and forgiveness. Repentance is, it's literally the metanoia, the turning to, turning Uh, often we use it, we say you turn from your sin and turn to God. I think I heard a a professor once say it, uh, it just felt slightly more accurate, but he said, it's not, maybe it's, we should look at it less as turning from sin to God. Maybe we should look at it more as turning with my sin to God, like turning to God and saying this is me. I did this. And it's the same with each other, turning, turning to each other with our sin. I, I did this. I did it. I can't undo it. I can't unsay it. I can't do a thousand things different than it and balance it or make it disappear. I did it. I brought this on. I've done this. There's the group called the, the Peacemakers who help you think through how exactly to acknowledge your sin to others. And they talk about addressing the specific person that you need to repent to. Uh, admit specifically what you've done you know, that's always the, I know as, as husbands, we're not, it takes us years to learn this, but 
the whole I'm sorry, just because you get a sense after three days of cold suppers, something might be wrong. Something's, something's amiss. And so you got to fix it. But you're clueless about what it is. So you just say, hey, I just want you to know, I, I'm sorry. And, and your wife looks at you and says, for what? I'm like, you know. I do know. What? I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. I'm sorry for everything. I'm just sorry for everything. That's a great apology. I'm sorry for everything. You're sorry for everything? So first of all, I knew you were awful, but I didn't realize you were responsible for everything. So we have a lot to unpack. No, no, specific. Be specific. And if you don't know, invite the rebuke. Say, I think there's something between us. And I don't like that. It's good for us to walk, to open up and be willing to say, hey, I don't like that our relationship is hard right now. This isn't just a, this isn't a marriage counseling, by the way. This, like, that goes to every relationship you have that you're like, there's iciness, there's coldness, there's something, something feels off. Have I done something? To help me understand works in that direction as well. But admitting, or, you know, admitting specifically, but also acknowledge the hurt. I did this, I said this, and I hurt you. And it harmed, I harmed our relationship by doing this. Avoid all the ifs, buts, and maybes. I'm sorry if you're offended. So a good way to test your apology is, how can they forgive you? I forgive you that I'm offended. Wait a minute, what? No, if your apology is an apology if or apology but, I'm sorry, but you know how that makes me feel. Accepting the consequences. Recognizing that, like, some things take time to heal. Sin, confront, repent, forgive. Part of the reason I think that we're so averse, that we so much avoid confrontation it's because we're also not very good at forgiveness. If I confront you, you see your sin and repent. What do I? Well, now I got to now I got to do something about that. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. The same peacemakers, peacekeepers, peacemakers group in forgiveness, they talk about all the, the I will not commitments. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this up and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or to hinder our relationship. This is not the same as saying, 
I'm still working through. I want to forgive. This isn't saying don't don't seek out pastoral counsel or a friend who can help you, even a counselor who can help you just kind of work through like what, how do I do that? How do I, some, like I said, there's some sins that are, are so hard. Like even Jesus says that like some sins really damage a relationship beyond repair. How do I work toward that? Forgiveness doesn't deny the cost or the pain. Forgiveness owns the pain. Says Because to say I forgive you is to say there's nothing that can be done about what you've done. I must remove it from your record. There's nothing you can do. If there was something you could do, you wouldn't have to say forgive me. You could say excuse me. Forgiveness recognizes there's no excuse and there's nothing to undo it and there's nothing to fix it other than to wash it away. There's this, there's this song from Hamilton toward the end of the musical called It's Quiet Uptown. And um, so first of all, I have never, ever, ever been able to listen to that song without crying. Now, in the last year, I can't listen to it, period. Um, It's too painful to listen to in the last year. But part of the song working through is Hamilton's betrayal of his wife. And they're working, like, what does that look like? They're working their relationship out together. And, and some of the, like Hamilton, as he's working this out in his, in his mind, he says, I don't, I don't pretend to know the challenges we're facing. I know there's no replacing what we've lost. And you need time, but I'm not afraid. I know who I married. Just, just let me stay here by your side and that would be enough. And says, when you see them walking in the park long after dark, taking in the sights of the city, they're trying to do the unimaginable. There, the, the narrator sings, there are moments that words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. And says they are standing in the garden, Alexander by Eliza's side, and she takes his hand. And this chorus says, forgiveness, can you imagine? Forgiveness, can you imagine? They are going through the unimaginable. But what if he did it again? What if she does it again in a year or two? What do I do then? What if he does it tomorrow? Isn't this something Jesus says? If he sins seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, this isn't like some magic word 
like we teach our kids that like it doesn't matter what your attitude is as long as you say please you get what you want like it's not that kind of i repent oh well okay then i forgive you but if a person sins seven times and isn't that bizarre like it's hard to even think about isn't it that someone would actually sin seven times in one day that's just crazy like i know i i i cap at five no it's not so hard to real think about oh what if you sin seven times today well, what if you saw your sin seven times? What if the person you sinned against loved you enough to confront you seven times and you saw your sin and you repented and they forgave you? Like, what a beautiful picture of grace. What a beautiful community that would create. Is it any wonder that... <laughs> The, the apostles are like, okay, we're going to need you to increase our faith. Because <laughs> if this is what community looks like, sin, rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. Sin, rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. Sin, rebuke, repent, forgive, repeat. It's it any wonder that his disciples say, hey, Could you increase our faith? And Jesus' answer is so weird. I mean, is is this more hyperbolic insulting? What is this? If you add faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, uproot, go be planted in the sea. And it would obey you. It's not the quantity of your faith. It's who are you trusting? Like, what is your faith in? Because even the weakest faith in the strongest Savior is better than the strongest faith in a false Savior. Jesus is essentially saying, if your faith is in me, it's enough. Sometimes we ask for things, and actually what we're asking for is not the need of them. It's like when we, when we ask for wisdom... Often when we're asking for wisdom from God, we're just asking for flashing arrows in the sky saying, go this way, do this, do that thing. But wisdom is necessary when the answers and the directions aren't clear and you need to exercise wisdom and faith. Sometimes we ask for faith because what we want is to be need to, so that we're not as reliant on God as we are. Give me more faith. And I heard, saw one writer put it this way. He said, your faith never died for your sins. Your faith did not conquer Satan and sin and death. Jesus did that. We do need our faith increased qualitatively. We need to 
Because by faith, it's only by faith that I'm going to be able to see I'm a stumbling block to some. You know, the way some writers put it, do you realize that you are the villain in someone's story? Like someone has a story in their journey and you're not the good guy in that part of the story. And that's hard to get our heads around sometimes. I need faith to be willing to open my eyes and look at my sin. I need, I need faith. I need to trust that Jesus is enough when I go and talk to you and say, this hurt me. When I risk damaging our relationship even more. A woman who was a, a, a pastor's wife, uh, she, thought that, she thought that she and a, and a woman in her church were, were developing a close friendship. And, and one time, as they were on a play date together, uh, she spoke to the woman about just some things that she wanted to encourage her over. That I mean, it wasn't like a full force rebuke, but it was a, hey, here are some things that, and the woman looked her in the eye and said, we don't know each other enough for you to have any right to talk to me about that. And it ended up damaging their relationship. But my faith in Christ isn't that all my relationships are going to be rosy and charming, that everyone's going to always understand my motives or that my motives will always be right. I trust God enough to speak to you about hard things and leave the Holy Spirit to do what He's going to do. Trusting in Christ and in what Christ has accomplished on the cross, I can hear rebukes. I can receive rebukes. Listen, no one's going to rebuke you the way Jesus rebukes, so you at least have that. Like when Peter, you know, Peter, Jesus says, hey, you're the rock, man. On this rock, I'm going to build my kingdom. And then one conversation later, Peter's like, hey, stop talking about this crucifixion stuff. That, is, that does not sell. And Jesus, do you remember what Jesus says to He just said to him, you're the rock. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind. Now, I can say with pretty good confidence, no one's going to call you Satan when they're trying to help you see the sin of your heart. But even if they do, you're okay. Because Christ died for your sins. Jesus could call Peter Satan or tell him, listen, you are doing Satan's work. And know that, and you know what, I, die, I will be dying for even this. As we confront others and they misunderstand, we know that we're covered, we're washed, we're cleansed, that Christ has forgiven us. When others come to us and we see, again, the the filth of our own sin, we know that we're washed, we're covered, we can repent. Because Christ knew all about it when he died for our sins. And so I can repent and ask your forgiveness and we can forgive each other. This is the unimaginable community because we are it is a community full of sinners 
who are saved by grace. And so we live as if we believe that, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner saved by grace. That Christ's blood is enough. Let's pray. God, even as we are so excited to make this church building our own personal home, we pray that you would build in our church the unimaginable community. We know that temptations to sin are sure to come. And so help us to be aware and ready for those. Help us to love each other enough to confront one another. Help us to love you enough to repent and to forgive each other because we know that for which we have been forgiven. Jesus, give us a simple faith that trusts you. In Jesus' name, amen.